Amen. Bow your head with me in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to be in the house of God. Father, may your spirit illuminate the word of God. May the entrance of your word bring light to us. May we understand what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to understand. And then give us a desire to do the word so that we don't deceive ourselves. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for Pastor Matt and Miss Crystal. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing here in Auburn, Washington. I thank you, Father, for allowing me to be here. Bless the word of God as it goes forth. And may we not be deceived in these weird last days. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as he said, I am from Tennessee. So if I have a little bit of a draw, deal with it. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Uh, I moved here in 1990, so I graduated Kent Ridge in 94, but I was born in Pittsburgh, grew up in Baton Rouge, a little bit of time in Tennessee, then Seattle. Then I was going to go to college at Carroll College, and my parents blackmailed me. They said, if you want us to pay for it, you'll go to college east of the Mississippi. So I went to college east of the Mississippi, and then I went to Bible College in Indianapolis, and... Uh, uh, 13 years ago, I was about to move to the Philippines to do missionary work. And as I'm about to board a flight in Detroit for Okinawa and then on to Metro Manila, the Lord spoke to me at gate A36 and said, this is not my plan for your life. And that's uh, like a bad time to figure that out. <laughs> so it's better than getting to Metro Manila and realizing I don't need to be here. It's easier to get a flight home from Detroit than it is uh, Okinawa or the Far East. So I came home and um, I spent the last two years of my spiritual father's life with him and he died of cancer and my wife and I took over the church. So we've pastored now the last 12 years. We got a little bit later start in life. I'm 43. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. And so Pastor Matt said, man, you're going to be 60 and still doing this thing. And I said, well, what else am I going to be doing? Might as well do something. So my two daughters, Lydia and Abigail, and a little boy named Justice, and I miss them and got a tremendous wife who um, lets me travel. I do a lot of missionary work in Africa and Europe, so we're gone a lot. Um, and my wife is an amazing woman of God. So Pastor Matt has asked me to come and minister somewhat on Samson, which is a, a hard chore in a short amount of time because that's a lot to cover. You know, it took a year to write the book. He says you get, you know, like less than an hour, so do your best. So we'll speed the draw up. It'll be a quick clip, and you'll just have to take lots of notes. Now, we'll, we'll just hit a thing or two. Turn, if you would, to the book of Judges. <clears throat> And uh, I could make my accent a lot thicker or I could dry it up a little bit. When I moved here from Tennessee in 1990, everybody said, where are you from? And that was not what you want to hear as an insecure 14-year-old. So you learn how to code switch and dry the accent up. And even still, when I go places, I say, where are you from? <laughs> Judges chapter 2. The book of Judges is a time that covers about approximately 351 years of Israel's history called the time of the Judges covers approximately 15 judges and this is a time after the death of Moses he judged Israel for 40 years was the leader the president the executive then Joshua led he died and then the elders led and after the elders led there was nobody who was raised up which is always bad when you have an assignment from God and there's nobody leading if you didn't know God's people cannot lead themselves God has always raised up a leader when God's people cry out he raises up a Moses when God's people cry out, he raises up a Joshua. When God's people cry out, he raises up a Samuel or a David. God's people always have to have a leader. When there was no man, he raised up a Deborah. This happens over and over and over again. And so during the time of the judges, 
there, there was no man to lead. And the Bible says this several times in the end of Judges, chapters 17 through 21 or what have you. It says, and there was no king in those days and every man did that which was right in his own sight. That's a bad place to be. When every man is doing that which is right in his own sight, you have lawlessness. Because everybody's got a different standard on what's right. Why well, mama taught me this and pappy taught me that. Well, I saw this on social media and well, the news says this. Well, that's why we have to have a common standard called the Bible, the law of God. And that's why we need to have a leader. So what happened in the time of the judges? Because there was nobody after the last elders that died out who would lead. Israel began to do their own thing. This is effectively called lawlessness. And we've got to be careful of that. Here in Judges chapter 2. I'm going to read a big ch uh, section for you to kind of give you the overview of the book of Judges. It says in verse 10, and also, Judges 2.10, All that generations were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Now remember, this is a time of lawlessness. And any time God's people get lawless, you get delivered into the hand of spoilers. Uh, uh, keeping the law of God is a good thing. We're not made righteous by the law of God, but without the law, we don't know what good and evil is. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of teaching right now that says we don't have to keep any of the commandments of God, which is absolute lunacy. And there's also a common misunderstanding that we've been fully delivered from the law. We're not under the law to perfect righteousness in us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But under the Old Testament, there's only 613 commandments. Collectively, it's called the mitzvah. 613. If you study them, you'll find about 230 of them occur in the New Testament. But if you count all the commandments in the New Testament, we have 1,050. Now, when you eliminate the multiple ones that repeat over and over again, you get to whittle it down to 800. So under the New Testament, we have 800 commandments. The New Testament, 30% better. <laughs> and what's if that's not bad enough the new testament commandments are more strict the old testament says thou shalt not commit murder the new testament says if you hate your brother you already are a murderer the old testament says thou shalt not commit adultery jesus said if you look to lust you're already an adulterer so uh, i don't know if we're really that delivered <laughs> if now god is looking at the heart you go over to the, the Gospels, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you have what's famously called the Sermon on the Mount. Longest recorded public sermon. Jesus taught longer in John 15, 16, and 17, 14, 15, and 16, but that was to his disciples in private. In, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus introduces 50 new commandments in that sermon alone. Just in trying to elaborate on six laws of the Old Testament, he produces 26 or 27 new commandments. And I'm just thinking, Lord, if you've come to deliver us from the law, just stop talking. Just, 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 
silence is golden. We were better with 613. And the more you talk, the more we just keep getting more commandments. So they ask the question is why? Well, you know, when you go from middle school to high school, you should be more responsible. When you go from high school to graduate, you should be more responsible. When you graduate college, it's time for big people land. You should be more responsible. And on this side of the cross, we're born again. We have the author on the inside. Now it's supposed to be written on the tables of our heart. We're supposed to grow up. And now God deals with our heart more intimately. Even here in the book of Judges, they were still under rules like we are. We can't kill people. We can't murder people. We're not free to commit adultery. We're not free to worship demons or idols. We're still under the essence of God's law. And God's law keeps us safe. Anybody who's got kids gets this. You give laws to protect and to communicate your essence, your nature, and your vision. We have somehow made Jesus into this hippie Jesus that... If you study all his dinner occasions in the Gospels, you'd realize you do not want dinner with Jesus. (laughs) Eventually, the disciples just quit talking. They just said, Peter, just shut up, eat. Somebody's going to get nailed here. (laughs) Whose house are we going to? Some Pharisees. Yeah, just shut up. We're just going to be quiet because somebody's getting nailed at dinner. Every time you look at dinner with Jesus, somebody's getting nailed. And they always thought they had everything all together. And he'd say, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Say on, master. Why are you such an idiot? (laughs) Last time Jesus was invited over to dinner. Back to Judges chapter 2. They couldn't stand before their enemies any longer. Whithsoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges. We see a principle here that God demonstrates over and over again throughout the whole Bible, even to this present day, that when God's people cry out, most of the time their deliverance comes through a leader. Even to this day, in places around the world where people are hungry for God, God speaks to a missionary to go start a work and become a deliverer. God speaks to someone to start a Bible study. Somebody as a leader is always the answer to the cry of distress because we're not designed to lead ourselves. Even me as a pastor, I have a pastor I submit to. He's who I turn to because you submit up. You don't submit down. Otherwise, you have the inmates running the asylum. When God's people cry out, God raises up a deliverer. And it, it, it benefits us when we trust the anointing of God, the gifting of God, the calling of God on that person. We don't care about the vessel. They could be short, tall. They could be fat, skinny, black, white. We don't care about the vessel. We just want what God put in the vessel. That's what has the power to deliver. He says, yet they would not hearken unto their judges. God answers their prayer like, no, not that. Something else. This this isn't like social media. You don't get to like swipe right for the next judge. No. This isn't like, this isn't like tender for deliverance. Like, no, 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 not smart enough, not pretty enough, not handsome enough, too tall, head's too bald. Don't like the southern accent. Don't like the Yankee accent. Too white, too black, too Asian. It's not like that. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. It's just how it goes. When I was um, 
When I was a young man, I was raised Southern Baptist, and I was crying out for more of God, and I needed a co-worker. I, well, I, needed, I was praying for a Christian worker, and the Lord uh, sent me this old guy. Now, I was 19. This guy was 30. I was like, this dude, <laughs> this dude is so old. And I, his name's Tim. I'm still friends with him. He had a mullet, and he kind of feathered top. This was my deliverance, but I was like, can't be this old dude. I'm thinking like a 20-year-old, somebody I'm in college with. God sends me this old dude to disciple me on my job. He taught me a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the move of God. And it was an answer to my prayer, but it was not what I was expecting. But yet God knows what we need more than we do. And part of this is walking by faith, not sight. This, you don't get to build a bear. You don't get to build a deliverer. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't just get to do this. You get what God gives you. And the other thing I teach everywhere I go is you don't pick your church. You don't pick your pastor. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, God sets us in the body as it pleases him. When my pastor died and we were set into his church, <clears throat> I began to pray and say, Lord, where would you have me to go? I need a pastor. Who is my pastor to be? And the Lord spoke to me the name of my pastor, and he was a guy I did not like at all. I didn't like him because he was different than anything I knew. And I said, of course it has to be him. I don't like him. <laughs> and yet it was a word from God, and I, I took about a year and a half to get my heart right towards him. Today he's become a grandfather to my kids. He probably spends more money on my kids than my own parents do. He's there anytime I need him. But 11 years ago, I did not like him at all. And yet, if I could have said, Lord, can I swipe left and have another option? There would have been no one. See, this is lawlessness. When you think you are in charge, when I think I'm in charge, that's lawlessness. And it's not how the kingdom works. So he sends a deliverer. They don't like him. But they go a whoring after other gods and bow themselves unto them. They turn quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, uh, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge. That's the leader. And delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of their life. They couldn't deliver themselves, but with the help of the leader, they could be delivered. And yet they did not appreciate their leader. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead... Dr. Barclay, that's my pastor, he says, as long as you preach, you'll build two armies. One that will follow you to heaven and one that wish you went there yesterday. That's how the kingdom works. When the judge finally died, they rejoiced because he was too restrictive. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers. And following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them, they ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. The reason they didn't like their leaders is because it was a law. Children, if you ever go bowling, children need bumpers. And God's children need bumpers too. And God's like, at least just knock one pen down. Before you get to heaven, just... just. Even if you're going to swing it granny style, just get one pen. And yet even if God puts up every bumper in the world and sets nothing but pens, some Christians will manage to not knock a single pen down. They'll somehow bounce it over the pen. God does everything. He stacks the deck in our favor if we would just get with his program. The problem we're dealing with, the problem that the time of the judges deals with is lawlessness.
And now we've got to understand lawlessness. Lawlessness is not the total rejection of all laws. Lawlessness is you or me picking and choosing the laws we like and rejecting the ones that stand in our way. And our nation does it in spades. You'll always hear politicians on both sides of the aisle say, this is a nation of laws. Why they're promoting the law they like and disobeying the law they don't like. It's us picking and choosing the laws of God, the New Testament commandments that we like while we turn a willful blind eye on the ones that stand in our way. That's the spirit of lawlessness. I grew up in Baton Rouge. I've been to Mardi Gras a couple times as a kid during the day. You don't go to Mardi Gras at night. It's, that's lawlessness. But <clears throat> they forgot there's a law that says put your clothes on. They got folks drunk, Cajuns hanging off of banisters, flashing everything, saying throw me something, mister. And it's just it's wild and debaucherous. They violate a lot of laws, but they don't violate all the laws. They're not murdering people. They're not robbing people. They're not pillaging. And they certainly don't want the police on horseback to start shooting people. That's not fair. So it's, it is regulated lawlessness. All for the expression of sin and rebellion. That is the spirit of lawlessness. Now what's critical about this is that Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24, He said there's coming a time where offense will abound. These are the symptoms of the last days. We live in them if you didn't know. It, it, somebody had that, uh, that Forrest Gump meme a couple years ago. said, I, I don't know, one day we woke up and everybody was offended. Everybody's just... <laughs> That's just what it was. It's like, you breathe too hard on me, I'm offended. I'm unfriending you. You know, I don't like your post. I'm unfriending you. And all of a sudden, you know, social media went to middle school ethics all overnight. <laughs> Jesus prophesied. He said, there's coming a day right before the Antichrist takes the stage. Offense will abound and people will hate each other. Offense, then hatred, then betrayal. Then it goes on to say in verse 12, it says, and the love of, because lawlessness shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. Now that word love is agapeo or agape. It's the kind of love God puts in Christians. So now we're addressing believers. Because lawlessness. Now we're, we're applying this to Christians. Because Christians will turn lawless. It'll, it'll turn cold. Their, their agapeo, their, their God kind of love will wax cold. Now the word wax cold in the Greek is psycho. A psycho is someone who just has no feeling. A psychopath, a psychotic killer. They do something and they feel no remorse. To wax cold, to grow cold, so you have no remorse, no feeling, no shame, no conscience. This is what happens when offense sets in, then hatred, then betrayal, lawlessness. You start picking and choosing the commandments of Jesus Christ you do and don't want. And then the love of many shall wax cold. Then the next verse says, but those that endure to the end shall be saved. What are we enduring? We're, we're bypassing bitterness. We're bypassing offense. We're bypassing betrayal. We're not getting offended. We're rejecting lawlessness. We are not going to let our love wax cold. This is the spirit of our day. And you know it because you see it all around you. You've got to commit in your heart as a Christian that I am not picking and choosing the scriptures. If it's New Testament for sure, I'm doing it. If I find it four or five places, I got to do it every day. We're not just like cherry picking. This, this is not like a buffet. This isn't a steakhouse where you get the buffet. And like I want some of that. And I'll take some of that and none of that. Is that gluten free? I only want the commandments if they're gluten free. Is that keto? That doesn't look whole 30 to me. You don't get to do that. 
The Bible says that the Passover lamb, you eat everything, even the bitter parts. But Proverbs says to the hungry soul, even the bitter parts are sweet. Our problem is we just don't have hungry Christians much anymore because we're full of other things. My pa- one pastor taught me, pray yourself hungry. My other pastor taught me, why, are you, why aren't you hungry? What are you full of? And call yourself hungry or you can dry up other appetites and make more room for God. We've all got to do this because we, we, God says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yeah. Now, let me give you a couple verses here. 2 Corinthians 6, we'll turn there and read this because I just want to exhort you briefly on lawlessness. Uh, and I should have told you, I am more of a teacher than anything, so I don't yell or hoop or holler. When I get into my thing, especially as a guest minister, I, I do a lot of teaching. That's just my gifting, and I'm, that's what I like to do. Second Corinthians 6 is famous, the famous passage about do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But it says there in verse 14, uh, for what fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness? Lawlessness. Now the King James translates it unrighteousness, but it's our same word for lawlessness. Antinomianism, anomia, anomos, no law. And he's asking, he's saying, basically, Christian, you don't have any business fellowshipping with lawless people. Because if you do, you'll learn their ways. Christians don't need to fellowship with lawless people. We're not trying to cut and paste the Bible to make our new version or a perversion, we want the whole counsel of God's word. Paul said, I have not refused from preaching the whole counsel of his word to you. We need to make sure that we can see lawlessness in people and begin to put up a little bit of a guard to protect ourselves because lawlessness works its way in. Lawlessness is appealing. It's so easy to justify why you don't have to obey those scriptures. Well, you know, I mean, it only says it nine times in the New Testament. It's not that important. I'm doing all these scriptures over here. One of the, I'm in the process of still studying it out. The Lord was dealing with me about this two weeks ago. I'm studying Christ's trial. And the Lord began to nudge me about, he said, the lawlessness of Christ's trial. And I said, lawlessness? You study the lawlessness of Christ's trial. And so far where I'm at in my studies, the, fair, the priests, they adamantly kept 11 laws to kill Christ. But they had to violate 12. They arrested him for no reason. Violation of law. Then they said, well, we have to have a mouth of two or three witnesses to convict him. So we're adamant about two witnesses. So they began to look for witnesses. But the Bible says, but they sought out false witnesses. And none of them would agree. And so... We're trying to keep two witnesses, but the Bible says don't bear false witness. Then when Jesus comes back and returns the money, they said, well, we can't put that back in the treasury. It's blood money. That's against the law. But you took it from the treasury to bribe a man, which violates the law, to betray the innocent blood, which violates another law. And you see the Pharisees and the scribes, masters of the law, weaving in and out of the scriptures to accomplish what they want. <clears throat> That's lawlessness. It's rebellion. It is the primary fruit of the spirit of Antichrist. There's this thing called a satanic Bible. You don't go on Amazon and order one. Let me just tell you about it. (laughs) It has nine principles that they wrote to mirror the uh, Ten Commandments. Principle number one is do what you want. That's lawlessness. 
We want to make sure that's so far from our attitude, that's so far from our families, that's so far from our Bible studies, our church. We want to make sure, Lord, whatever your word says, I want it. Because the entrance of your word brings light. Your word is light. Your commandments are strength to me. Because if it's God commands it, you can do it. If it's a commandment, you're guaranteed to succeed, not fail. God doesn't give us laws or commandments just to watch us fall. That would be sick and twisted. He gives us a command. If you say, yes, Lord, I'll do it, you're guaranteed to succeed at it. Every law you step up to obey, every New Testament commandment, if you'll do it, you'll win. We're trying to win only obeying half of them. We're trying to win obeying the ones that are easy. We've got to make sure we take in the whole counsel of God's word. So here in 2 Corinthians, it says, what business, what fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness? So we got to, that begins to put this thing out there that says, we got to be careful that even in the body of Christ, there are lawless individuals that we need to be very mindful of. Very, very mindful of. Um, Look at 2 Thessalonians, another verse about lawlessness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> this is definitely talking about the Antichrist coming. And it says in uh, verse 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, the, the, the man of perdition, the son of perdition, we know that's the Antichrist. We know Judas was a forerunner of the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you yet, I told you these things, and, you, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already working. This is the scripture that shows us that the spirit of Antichrist is this demon that drives this attitude of lawlessness. If it was working 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this to the Thessalonican church, how much has it matured in the hearts of man and in culture? The mystery, one translation, because it's the Greek word mysterion, the hidden agenda, the secret power of lawlessness is already working. There is a hidden agenda. There is a secret power to this thing, and it's already working in the hearts of men. And it's making us all just pick and choose what we do, whether it's in civil law, spiritual law, school law, church law, family law. We're just tossing things out if they stand in our way. And yet the law of God are bumpers to make sure we at least pick up the spare before we go home to heaven. Now, when you have the law of God written on your heart, you don't need the bumpers. They can go back down. You'll just throw a a strike every time. But when you're a baby Christian or an immature one, those laws come up as bumpers and guardrails. Because God wants you to have fruit in heaven. God wants you to make heaven. And he wants you to have fruit when you get there. I tell the old folks, I'm a younger guy. And I've buried a lot of my older saints now. Our church is getting younger and younger. I told our old folks, I'm hard on you. Because you're going to meet God soon. And I want to make sure you have something there. So just because you retired from your job doesn't mean you retire from the kingdom. Amen. You got a pension. That means you live at home for free. Come up here and clean the church. Come up here and pray with me. Come up here and mail out letters to the inmates. Come up here and do something. Don't just watch Andy Griffith, Murder, She Wrote, and plant more petunias. <laughs> I need help. You don't get to retire. Our side of the country, all the Yankees come down. They're snowbirds. They come down in the winter. 
don't help the church in the south. They go back to the winter, the northern land in the summer. They don't help that church because they're just Winnebago, Winnebago. We call it Winnebago dreaming. You have six months here, six months there, three months here, three months there. Who are you helping? Uh, you don't need a 30-year vacation, sweetie. There's a kingdom to be built. And if you're 65 or so, I'm talking about, I don't know if I'm talking to anybody. I'm talking about folks back home that irritate me. I'm, I'm just, this is catharsis for me, all right? I'm just looking like the first three rows. All I see is younger people, okay? Like, I don't get a 30-year vacation. I don't know why you get to retire and do nothing until you're 95. I mean, you got 30 years. That's a third of your life. That's three decades, man. You could be doing something for God. I read about this one woman, she's in the nursing home, she's praying through the phone book. She goes to the phone book at 95, calls the person up, how can I pray for you? That's what she does every day. So this one man who was 73 said, if a 95 year old can do that, what can I do? I got 20 years on me. There's always something you can do for the kingdom. Amen. How about, how about this verse here? Go to Matthew. Hopefully you're learning something about this thing called lawlessness. This was active in the days of the judges. And everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. Of course, Proverbs says, There is a way that seems right unto a man, and the end thereof is death. In Matthew chapter 7, wrapping up the, B, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching, and he's talking about false prophets and talking about judging things by trees. All of chapter 7 is about judgment, even though it starts off by saying, judge not. And then three verses later it says, how you judge. Uh, you know, John 3.16 used to be the most famous verse in America. Now it's Matthew 7.1. Because I... <clears throat> As a pastor, I have to help people learn what sin is. So I tell the young lady, honey, fornic fornication is sin. Now, if that's too big a word for you, that means you're sleeping with someone you're not married to. That's a violation of the Bible. You're not supposed to judge, pastor. The Bible says that. That we just entered into lawlessness. Because I'm giving a scripture. She's ignoring it. She's wanting to trump me with the scripture. So she's ignoring some scriptures, but promoting others, ignoring the ones that stand in her way, and trying to throw up a facade or uh, a diffusing mechanism with the scriptures. I'm like, all right, sweetie, let's talk about judge not, and then let's talk about how I've pulled the moat out of my eye so I can pull the two by four out of your face. Because he says if you judge yourself, you can more accurately judge your neighbor and help them. And then it goes on to say, and don't give your, don't cast things before dogs. That means you've got to recognize who's a dog. That takes judgment. And don't cast pearls before swine. That means you've got to reach in your pocket. Is that a pearl? You've got to judge it. Are you a pig? You're a pig. And then you don't do it. So all of chapter 7 is about judgment. Though it seems to say judge not, lest you be judged. And then it goes on to tell us how to judge things. And then he says, and you'll know them by their fruit, which requires fruit inspection, which is a PC way of saying judgment. But verse 21 says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, all 1,050 wills revealed in the New Testament. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Man, we are Pentecostal. Man, we are Holy Ghost, tongue-talking, holy rollers. We prophesy. We cast out devils. Wow! <laughs> I'm from the south. There's got to be some showmanship to it. It's just like, rah! 
like you're jump-starting the lawnmower. Come on! <laughs> and in your name, we've done so many wonderful works, which is the Greek word dunamis, miracle. And then Jesus says, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that practice lawlessness. Practice it. That means it's your lifestyle. So what did they do? They did part of the word. Cast out devils. That's biblical. Mark 16. The sign shall follow them that believe. They'll cast out devils. And we prophesy. Forbid not to prophesy. Hey, prophesying is better than tongues except he interpret that all may be edified. So, hey, I'm doing the word. But the Lord looked at him and said, I don't even know you because you practice lawlessness. But that's exactly what Matthew 24 says. Endure to the end. Don't allow lawlessness to define your life. This is a dangerous day that we're living in. And we've got to make sure we judge ourselves. At 1 Corinthians 11 says we examine ourselves to see. Oh, Corinthians also says we examine ourselves to see whether we even be in the faith. It's a lot of self-examination that takes place in the maturation process called sanctification and consecration. You're living in a day where the devil would love to talk you into thinking you're right with God because you obey your favorite scriptures, but you ignore the ones that you don't like. You're living in a day when the devil would love to affirm you that you're right with God because you do your favorite scriptures, but ignore the ones that grate you when you read. Uh, let me, how, what I learned years ago, read the scriptures. Read them out loud when you're reading. And when you read something and it just kind of grates on the inside of you, you've got to stomp. Yes. That's where you have a nail sticking up. Yes. And that's what you need to hammer down. Years ago, I, the Lord had me reading through Proverbs. I would take one chapter of Proverbs and I'd read it a hundred times a week. So Proverbs chapter 1, I'd read it every day, five or six times a day for one week. So by the end of that week, I'd read Proverbs chapter 1 40 or 50 times. You get to learn the Proverbs that way. It takes you 30 weeks to do it, 31 weeks, but you, you learn Proverbs. And I was actually reading Proverbs one day and I'd read it a bunch of times. I read it a bunch of times. And the proverb that says, um, it says, deceitful bread is sweet. But in the end, his mouth shall be filled with gravel. And the Lord said, that's you. You exaggerate too much. I was about, thank God I was 25. That's a long time ago. It'd be bad if it was yesterday. <laughs> and I, he, when he spoke that to me, I can tell you because this fits here. I remember in college telling folks I had summited Mount Rainier when all I'd ever done was ski on the, uh, um, the base camp. Mere um, mere snowfield, and I, I just exaggerated things, you know, because they knew I was from Seattle and it was cool, and I was an outdoorsy guy. And the Lord brought that kind of stuff to my remembrance. You exaggerate, and in the end, your mouth will be filled with gravel. Lord, I don't know what you're talking about, because as of today, if I caught a fish this big, it's a minnow. I am not exaggerating. <laughs> everything, I'm going to lowball everything. In fact, I really had to condition myself. If I told stories, I'd say something, I'd come back and say, no, no. Let, let me, let me lowball that because I don't want to be guilty of exaggerating. It can become a harmful habit. There were many phone calls. We didn't text in those days because we didn't have cell phones in those days. I, was I didn't have my first cell phone when I was 25 and texting wasn't invented for another three or four years after that. I had to make many phone calls and repent, say I exaggerated, please forgive me. And I had to condition myself to get that hurtful habit out. But I was reading that proverb and that lawlessness stuck up at me. It was, a, it was like running your hand over a piece of furniture and something catches it. We too often just ignore that and go with the stuff we're doing right. 
we need to make sure we're on the lookout for where we're stepping around laws that we don't like, commandments, truths. Otherwise, it's going to hurt us. Now, one last verse. Turn with me to uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy, as we get ready to wind up here. Hopefully, are you learning something tonight? Amen. We have a joke back east. The Yankees always say Southerners talk slow. We do have a draw. Most of it's because of the Scottish and the English accents. But anytime I preach up in the Yankee states, which is anything north of Kentucky, I say, I know we talk slow, but it's everybody in the South knows it's because Yankees listen slow. <laughs> and that's always a good way to jab at them because they're like, man, yeah, all right, fine. <laughs> Second Timothy. Is that what I want? Second Timothy, maybe First Timothy. Well, yes, Second Timothy chapter 2. Jesus, in teaching on lawlessness, said, judge them by their fruit. Jesus, in Matthew 24, said, endure to the end. Jesus, in Matthew 7, said, many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I don't know you because you practice lawlessness. Here in 2 Timothy 2, verse 19, it says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, or this inscription... The Lord knows them that are His. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's the word wickedness. It's not lawlessness. It's a different word in the Greek. But if you're invoking the name of Christ, then you've got to depart from any form of wickedness you can find. And the scriptures tell us what that is. Whether it's gossip, fornication, lying, embezzlement, stealing. It's in the word. And you don't get to pick and choose. The word defines what sin is. And the more we know God's word, the more we can know what he likes and doesn't like. The more we know what he hates and what he loves. We forget that God hates as much as he loves. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. He said in Amos, I hate. We don't hear many messages on how God hates. Because it doesn't make us feel warm and fuzzy. Now, I make a point of it in one of my books that God's love for us has never been in question. But our love for him is doubted every day. And actually, God doesn't mention his love for anybody until I think about the third book of the Bible. Most Three to one, the scripture tells us to love him. Because we're the one that has the problem, not him. But God's word tells us what is wicked. And if we want to be on his side, we say, Lord, show me what wicked is and I will run from it. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, here's what I want to get to. And we'll wrap up with this. Verse 20. But in a great house... That's the local church, that's the body of Christ, that's a ministry, that's a family. A great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. That just has to do with how smart you are, how much money you have, how big you are, how small you are. The vessel, the vessel material is not the problem here. Some folks are highly educated, some folks are not educated, some folks have a lot of money, some folks are lower on the economic scale, some folks are brown, some folks are white. The vessel and its, its material is not the issue here. What's the issue here is, and some vessels are to honor, and some vessels are dishonorable. This is in every great house. In every great house there are vessels. You can be an honorable wooden vessel, or you can be a dishonorable golden vessel. In which case, the vessel's not the issue. The honor or dishonor is the problem. There are some vessels that are honorable, and there are some vessels that are dishonorable. This is a promise to us, Pastor Matt. We're always going to have folks we're working on. 
I've got a church. I've been pastoring 12 years. Our church is 37 years old now. We always got folks. Any given day, it's like I liken it to spinning plates. You ever remember the old Smothers Brothers where they'd spin the plates? And just about the time you got like 17 families just humming for Jesus, these four over here decide to wobble out of orbit. And you got to run over there and say, what are you thinking? You, these guys are honorable, and now these guys have got dishonorable. So you've got to run over here and give them attention. And this, it, Any given day, you could be the dishonorable one, just on the attitude. But remember, lawlessness is an attitude. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, these what? Dishonorable vessels. It's the whole reason the Lord said, when you go into the promised land, do not intermarry. You'll pick up their attitudes. Do not... Take on their gods, run them out, drive them out, go to war with them. I don't want their influence on you. Otherwise, lawlessness. But that's what happened because they did not drive out their enemies. He's saying the same thing here. Judges all the way to Timothy. The message hasn't changed. Be careful the influence. Be careful lest lawlessness gets you. One other way to describe lawlessness is what Revelation 2 calls the doctrine of Balaam. If you remember the story of Balaam. Balaam is hired by Balak... To curse Israel because Balak is terrified. Balaam is a prophet, a soothsayer for hire. Sometimes he dabbles with Jehovah. Sometimes he dabbles with demons. And he tries to curse Israel three times, but he can't. He keeps bumping into Jehovah God in the spirit realm. And Jehovah says, don't curse them. They're my people. And even the last time he goes to prophesy against them, he sees a scepter coming out of Jacob and prophesies about a coming Messiah. But he still wants that money. So he says, you know what, Balak? I can't curse them. But you know, if you teach them how to fornicate, if you teach them to worship your idols, God himself will destroy them. Lawlessness. They can still worship at the tabernacle. They can still worship with the showbread. They can still worship. But you get them to to compromise on these two little issues, God himself will destroy them. That's called the doctrine of Balaam. All these years later, it's in the Revelation chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2 is 1,400 years after Balaam and Balak. And God says, I hate this doctrine. And he rebuked the pastor of the church at Sardis and said, You have those there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, which I hate. He was nailing the pastor for tolerating the spirit of lawlessness in his church. If a man therefore purge himself from these, we would insert safely, dishonorable vessels, he or she shall be a vessel unto honor. Sanctify. Part of sanctification is watching who you run with. And good, set aside proper meat for the master's use. Prepared unto every good work. In a great house, there's always opportunities to get into lawlessness. To take attitude. To drop the standard. But as Christians, our job is to not make the cross a limbo. How low can you go and and God still show up? Back south, we're dealing with this. Churches are lowering the standard because it causes more people to come. Jesus said, narrows the gate. Narrows the gate. Strive to enter therein. He said in Luke, because many will seek and not. So apparently being a seeker is not what it takes to get in. He said, many shall seek. You strive. He says in Matthew's gospel, uh, wide is the gate. And few be there that find it. So why does the gate? Few be they that find it. Luke's gospel says, At the gate, few be they that enter there, and though many 
seek to. So you go from a massive group, uh, just a few find it, then Luke's gospel says, with those that find it, just a very few enter in. So we go from a massive number down to a little to an even smaller number. The cross is not a limbo. How low can you go and still have the Holy Ghost? The cross is a standard we keep raising. Every time we study this word, the standard is raised. Every time we open the Bible, our eyes are illuminated. Things should get on our nerves more. Things should grate on us more. God's going to raise the standard. Just like my two-year-old gets away with stuff, my seven-year-old will never get away with again. Because they're growing. To make the standard stay low is lawlessness. Now, we can't possibly know all 1,050 laws and fulfill them, but God matures us, and as we write them upon the tables of our heart, we mature, and we know by the essence on the inside of us. I don't need to do that. That's not God, and the Word shows us sometime later. We need to make sure we're striving to be people that obey the Word of God. When God gives us to deliver, it's to deliver us from lawlessness. So there's an attitude in this earth, especially in our, our nation. Our nation is the most rebellious nation on the planet. I tell our church back home, our nation, our national DNA, in the American Revolution, we shook our fist across the pond at the Brits and said, who are you to tell me what to do? We were birthed in rebellion. There's a good rebellion, but we've never balanced that thing out. We're still looking at Jesus and say, by the way, who are you to tell me what to do? Oh, but you better bless me. Amen. We learn anything? You guys are real easy to preach to. <laughs> You're a lot of fun. Let me pray for you. And I also, I'll have you pray. I, I, I close out services back home with a kind of a call and response. Father, I pray for this awesome church, Faith and Victory Church. I thank you for Pastor Matt, Pastor Crystal. Bless them, Lord. And I thank you for the great work you're doing here. May this spirit of lawlessness be far from us. May this attitude of picking and choosing be far from us. May the Bible not be a buffet to us where we're picky and choosy. May we eat even the bitter things, knowing that the entrance of all your word brings light. Even the weird stuff in Leviticus and the hard stuff of Deuteronomy is enough to heal our bodies and set us free because it is your word. And I thank you for blessing this congregation and all the future plans you have for them. Be good to them, Lord, and strengthen them. Now pray this after me, church. Father, in Jesus' name, I trust you. I'm not ashamed of you. Forgive any lawlessness I have. Show me anything I can't see. And I'll repent of it. I want to do your word. And I want to glorify you. By your grace, I will endure to the end. And see you face to face. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Amen.